Welcome, everybody, to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. I am here with my aviator, Ray-Ban, reflective sunglasses on and my hair frosted. And Jason is in his leather coat and tight-fitting Levi's jeans. <laughs> uh-huh. That's right. Absolutely. And we're both pretending like we can play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just shaking my butt. That's all I, that's all I know how to do, shake my butt. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, discussing and debating the iconic and the forgotten of 80s and 90s pop culture with your co-hosts, James D. Graves and Jason Colvin. I'm excited to jump into this one. This is new territory for us. This is very much pop, and I realize we covered Michael Jackson, and that's the king of pop, but we've been primarily a rock and roll kind of thing, and NXS was about as close to pop as we got, and now we're getting full on in as poppy as pop can get with Mr. George Michael. I'm excited about this, too, because even though it is a full-on head dive into pop music, this was everywhere in 1988. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing George Michael's songs, and this guy... has a voice like an angel. So I've got no problem covering talented, impactful musicians from the 80s. So let's do this. All right. So just to remind everybody, this episode is about George Michael's Faith album, but this is a comparison with NXS's Kick, which we did last week. Yes. Both of these albums came out in 1987 and were both top in the pop charts during that time. Yep. Very end of 87, and we're prominent all the way through 88 into 1989. So you ready to dive right in? Let's do this. All right. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In June 1963, a young Greek child was born named Porhios Kyriakos Peneluto. Not quite as poppy as George Michael. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, he was born in England and grew up there. His father owned a restaurant called Mr. Jack's, a Greek-style restaurant. And George had to work in the restaurant cleaning dishes and such like that and knew at the time he wasn't sure what he wanted to do, but it definitely wasn't working in a restaurant. That's right. He said he uh, his his memories are that he hated every moment of it. <laughs> so George's dad was kind of a taskmaster, disciplinarian type of father, and he didn't really connect with him very well, had a great relationship with his mother. And as he grew up, he kind of had some insecurities, felt like he was fat. He wore glasses, had funny hair. And eventually he moved to Bushy Mead School, where a young man named Andrew Ridgely was asked to take him under his wing. And George and Andrew became fast friends. George was impressed with Andrew's carefree lifestyle, good looks, ability to get girls. And so they became inseparable. And then at age 17, they both quit school at the behest of Andrew and decided to start a band together and lived on welfare while they were composing songs and (laughs) putting their dance moves and style together. Yeah, this band was initially called The Executives, but that didn't stick and you may know them better as Wham! Hard to miss Wham! in 1984. These guys, when they got together, so they were young guys, really young. Like, when they got started, they were 19. Yeah. 
but George had an ability to write catchy tunes, mm -hmm. and Andrew wanted to be the biggest band in the world, and it'd be great. Right. They released their first album, Fantastic, in 1983, and it did not take off until there was this weird, dumb luck circumstance where a band was unable to play on a little show called Top of the Pops in England, which was basically like an American bandstand-style show in England. And when that band wasn't able to play, wham! happened to be able to fill the spot. And when they came in, it was George and Andrew dancing around, having fun with a couple of other lady singers that were in the band. And they had such a good time on their show that it was almost an overnight success for them. Their singles, which hadn't done much up until then, suddenly started climbing up the charts and it wasn't much longer before they were everywhere on the airwaves. I saw this. One of the songs that they played on Top of the Pops was Young Guns, Go For It. But these guys had a rap song. These are two English white guys in 1982 who were rapping, that was pretty unheard of at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And their moves and their style were certainly something that kind of drove the, the girls around crazy. They immediately became teen idols and everywhere they would go, girls were screaming their names and uh, looking for their autographs. So the next album to come out for Wham! was an album called Make It Big. You heard of that one? Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> I, think I think everybody in the world had a copy of this. It was like passed out in the fourth grade of my school. So, Yeah, I think I've mentioned on some of our other episodes, this was one of the very first tapes that I had. It was this and Minute Work and 1984. Okay, so the big songs off of Make It Big were Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, which I can barely say without singing. <laughs> right. Everybody in the world knows this song, but everything she wants was a huge hit. Freedom, which we'll talk about here in a second, and then Careless Whisper. So just before this, just before Fantastic came out, George had an experience that led him to question his sexuality. And when he approached his bandmates about it, they were concerned about how his family would feel in the 80s. AIDS had just become a thing. And this was a shocking and scary thing that was associated at the time with that lifestyle. And so they convinced him at the time to just keep it a secret. And so for the next 16 years, he didn't say anything about it. Now, I will say this, I didn't really have any question about it, even as a kid watching the videos going, okay, that guy's different than other guys. So as the bandmates became very famous, ironically, there was a lot of dating of very beautiful women by both Andrew and George and some gaming of stealing the women from each other as their fame went on. One of those women that uh, was really into Wham! at the time was a young lady named Brooke Shields, who was also a megastar in the early 80s. And apparently when they met, became very serious, very fast. And George said, I just got scared and just kind of left. George Michael and Brooke Shields, that's, that's a pretty powerful early 80s couple right there. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, so of those singles that Wham! put out from Make It Big, let's talk about Careless Whisper for just a second. The, the story behind the song is kind of interesting. George used to chaperone his sister to skating rinks, even though he was two years younger than she was. Um, but he said he would basically let her go do whatever she wanted because all he wanted to do was stare at this beautiful girl named Jane. At the time, he said, I was a fat, bushy-haired, glasses-wearing kid who had, who never had a chance with her. And then... You know, he met Andrew, he changed style, girls became interested in him, he began dating another girl named Helen, and then, lo and behold, he happens to 
a couple years later come across Jane again and she has seen him doing some DJing and she's now enamored with him. And so <laughs> he starts seeing Jane without telling Helen. <laughs> <laughs> and he said this song, he remembers coming up with it on the bus. Like he very, very vividly remembers, you know, riding the bus home. And as he's handing the money to the bus driver, as he's about to get off the bus, this sax solo comes into his head. Unmistakable saxol, right? Yeah. I heard him say that at that time, that was the proudest he'd ever been musically. When he had gotten the song arranged, he had a friend who played sax at the local pubs for fun. He had recorded it. It was the sound that he wanted, but it was just a simple recording. So when they got together to actually record this song, they thought, okay, we're big at this point. We're going to bring in the top saxophonist from L.A. to just do this track. And it was a deal where he should have been in by 11 and out by 12. But three hours later, George is still like, no, this is not right. You're not doing it right. And ultimately gave up. And they went through 11 different saxophonists over the course of several months. And George was just like, no, this isn't it. This isn't it. And finally, when he, when George wasn't even there, they recorded a saxophonist playing the sax but the saxophonist said, you know, this is in kind of a weird key. If I could play it in a, a lower key, then I could probably find that little magic thing that George is wanting. So he played it in the lower key. Then the producers sped it up to the key that George wanted to wow. sing it in. And when George came in and listened to it, he said, that's it. That's the solo that I want. So with us and our, you know, the production of music and synth sounds and stuff like that, it doesn't hurt our ears to hear the saxophone sped up to where it almost sounds like an alto saxophone. But that's that magic saxophone sound is actually played in lower keys, pitched up to sound like it does now. Oh, sweet. So one of the things that is kind of unique about Careless Whisper is there are lots of outlets where it'll say, careless whisper featuring george michael and he was the only one in the music video which was strange that it came from a wham album but it seemed to be george's song even though andrew ridgely co-wrote the song with him i don't know what do you, what do you think about that yeah, it's, it's strange. I haven't been able to find an answer as to why they did it this way, other than maybe that George had this kind of deeper, longer connection with the song. I mean, he was it was before he had formed a band with Andrew that he started putting the song together. So maybe it was just an agreement between he and Andrew that, hey, this song, I just feel like needs to be my song. That's the only reason that I can think, because it was. I mean, they were still wham together. They were still touring together. But one album cover just has him. I mean, it just it's just George. George Michael, Careless Whisper, and then the alternative one is one that says Wham on it, Careless Whisper featuring George Michael. So I don't know why why this seemed to be more of a solo single than a Wham single. I don't know. Yeah. So the single after Careless Whisper is a song called Freedom, which if you've seen the music video, you've seen that the band went to China, which was this huge deal in 1985. I guess the producer went to some leader in China and said, okay, here's a picture of Queen. And he had some pictures that were unflattering of Freddie Mercury and then showed him pictures of Wham and basically are two clean cut young men. And the Chinese guy said, I'll take them pointing to the Wham picture. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. And it was it was a big deal. I mean, that was that allowed other bands to come in 
it kind of improved the relationship between uh, China and the West and allowing things like that to happen. But that was a, that was a huge deal for them globally. I mean, they were already a big success in Europe and in the Americas, but to do that, that created such a buzz about them that obviously the money just poured in at that point. And you got to think, these these guys are very young at this time. So he's yeah. born in 1963. In 1985, they're playing China. They're 22 years old. Yeah, it's insane. So at the time that George had decided to form this band with Andrew, he went to his father and told him what his plan was. And his father was like, why do you want to do this? Why don't you just want to come and run the restaurant with me? That was what you're supposed to do. You're never going to amount to anything as a musician. And so that was kind of a big blow for him. Obviously, he moved out, started doing all of his stuff with Andrew. And then as time goes on, they hit their success. They start performing these concerts. Finally, his dad comes to one of these concerts several years after, you know, telling him he would never amount to anything and basically not having anything to do with him for that time period. He comes to one of the concerts and sees thousands and thousands of people screaming and singing and in love with his son. And he says, I wept like a baby. I realized that I had been wrong about my own son. They had a tough relationship. And his dad initially said, why would you want to be a singer? You can't sing worth a flip. And I'm like, did he ever take the time to listen to him? sing so they play china in 1985 they also play live aid in 1985 yes which was live aid produced by bob gildo who later his wife would have an affair and ultimately a child with michael Michael hutchins Hutchins. (laughs) it's funny how these are so many stories are, are intertwined so they play live aid in 1985 their next album that comes out has a couple of great songs on it in my opinion the Edge of Heaven, and I'm Your Man. These are great, catchy pop tunes. Yep. But at this point, they're still kind of teeny bopper songs. Absolutely. And George is tired of the teeny bopper persona that that he has fallen into. And so he decides he needs to go out on his own. He needs to separate himself from Wham. He needs to separate himself from his lifelong friend, Andrew Ridgely. And he needs to do something that is his own and is grown up. He was such a good writer that he could continue that young teeny bopper Wham character and continue to write songs and successful songs and probably make a bazillion dollars and all the success in the world. But he really craved the respect that a solo artist, somebody like Madonna or Prince or Michael Jackson would get. He basically felt like with Wham, he would never be taken seriously as a musical artist. You know, he's not wrong about that either. No, I mean, the reason that I Want Your Sex was the first big boom from this album is because he wanted to let parents know it's not okay for you to go out and buy my albums for your kids. <laughs> All right. So a lot of people say that his sort of first steps as a solo artist came with Careless Whisper. And I would agree with that. But but his leap came not with Faith, but with a song that came out in early 1987. Sometimes this gets forgotten, I think, but the song I Knew You Were Waiting For Me with Aretha Franklin. Right. 
Right. Yeah, that was a huge, I mean, that was a soulful song that was not the bubblegum pop that Wham! had been putting out before. This is a great song. I love this song. Reached number one in April of 1987, was number one for two weeks. So if you're counting at home, that's number ones with Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, Everything She Wants, Careless Whisper, and now I Knew You Were Waiting For Me with The Queen of Soul. Are we ready to jump into the album? Yeah, let's dive into the album. Okay, diving into the album. We have such an epic, and I just, I love this. He wanted to set himself out as a musical artist who is not a bubblegum pop artist for kids. So what does he do? He takes this song that was a huge hit for Wham! And he plays it on an organ as if it's sacred. And then all of a sudden that music stops and the guitar comes in. So the organ, for those of you who don't know, and I didn't recognize it, that is the Wham! song, Freedom. When I turned that first song on, the first time I listened to that organ, I'm like, wait a minute, I recognize that organ tune. What is that? And as I played it in my head, I was like, I'm singing the lyrics to a different George Michael. No, this is the Wham! song, Freedom, from Mega Big. Okay, so in my opinion, the organ tune for Freedom sounds like a funeral. And I think he's putting to death Wham! Yeah, that's a, uh, certainly that's another way to look at it too. I don't know, you know, I don't know which one of them is, is the right, but it's it either way the equally the same uh, same idea. That what was before is no longer. We are now something new. Okay, so I don't think we've mentioned this before, but curiously, the Faith album was released October thirtieth of nineteen eighty seven. Okay, the first single was I Want Your Sex. That came out, was released June 1st of 87. So five months prior to the album being released. Right. And the second single, Faith, was released October 12th, 1987. It's kind of curious of the dates, how they had two singles released before the album was even available. All right. So Faith is the second single released October 12th, 1987. This one hit number one, December 12th, 1987. Only took seven weeks to reach the top spot on the Hot 100. That's a, that's like a rocket. I mean, that's shooting up the charts. Yep. And was number one for four weeks. So during the recording of the song, he did something that we've talked about before that Mutt Lang would do. And he built this song piece by piece. He would record line by line, sometimes word by word, to get it just perfect. But obviously what came out sounds very polished and fluid, so it was a a very well-produced song. This is a fantastic pop song. It's not a rocker by any stretch, but it's just a great pop song. It's not the rock of the 1980s. It's the rock of like the 1960s. This is Bo Diddley. I mean, this is dun 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 This is that reimagined. Sure, sure. Um, And so... That little guitar beat that he's got going on is all about the early rock and roll style. And I mean, crap, he looks like the 1987 version of Elvis. He right? does. I mean, he's, Absolutely. he's got the Elvis hair, except it's frosted, the jeans, the leather, the glasses. I mean, it's, it is all right there. And then he's got that guitar and he's swiveling his hips just like the king. Okay, so this was the number one single of the year in the United States in 1988, okay? It was the song of 1988. Let's talk about the look for a second, all right? Okay, so yeah. he 
has created this character, this masculine character with the leather jacket, cowboy boots, the jeans, the guitar, the Ray-Ban sunglasses, the five o'clock stubble. The bearded wonder. This was all a character that he created. And I was talking to you off air. I think this is based on, other than the five o'clock shadow and the earring and the mm-hmm. frosted hair, <laughs> this is Maverick from Top Gun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. The leather sure. jacket, the Ray-Bans, the jeans, you know, the boots. And the guitar. I mean, and the guitar is, you said it's a costume, it's a character. I mean, any guitar player watching him play is going to go, he's not playing that guitar. What is he, <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> and, and, they, and so somebody actually asked him, they're like, okay, you don't play the guitar. Why are you in this video with a guitar? And he said, Americans. If you stick a guitar on, you have a bigger penis. Simple as that. (laughs) (laughs) He's pretending to be a lot of things in this video, including a guitar player. Fighter jets, guitars, penises. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) This song is covered by Limp Biscuit. Have you heard this version of it? Uh, yeah. Oh, I guess it would be nice if I could touch your body. I know not everybody has got a body like me. It's, yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I just stick with the George Michael version. Right. This song was featured in Big Bang Theory, The Goldbergs, which is a great show, The Office, and the movie Ready Player One. It's a great song. Really? Where is it in Ready Player One? When he goes to the library. When, oh, man. When he goes to the library. Okay. All right. So this song was knocked out of the number one spot by So Emotional by Whitney Houston, one of the pop stars of the time that he was trying to reach that level. Yeah. Well, it, it, it had been uh, the album itself was in number one in and out several times. Knocked out at one point, I think, by Tiffany in her debut album. Yes. Yeah. So they asked him, you know, what does faith mean to you? You know, and he said, well, it represents the way I felt at the moment. It's kind of like another word for hope or optimism. So it was just a strong word. He liked the idea of being a a simple idea for the song. And then he actually, this was his second choice for the title of the album. The original choice to be the name of the album was Kissing a Fool. But he liked the simplicity of this song and that word so much that it became faith. And I think that was the right choice. Absolutely. All right, moving on to track number two. I will be your father figure. This song's a masterpiece, okay? This song is a pop masterpiece. Well, it is def- it definitely needs to be a part of the make out slash foreplay slash finish off <laughs> mixtape of nineteen eighty seven. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So you guys know that like we, we, we talk back and forth before we have these episodes and talk what we're about what we're doing and Jason at one point says i just ran uh like three miles and listened to the uh faith album and it was a little weird from time to time (laughs) i I cannot imagine running and sweating out in the oklahoma sun to i will be your father (laughs) i gotta do my research man (laughs) 
<laughs> so Father Figure was actually the fourth single. It stayed number one for two weeks. Uh, it was released December 28th, 1987. Hit number one February 27th, 1988. Again, that's two months to reach the top. That's really fast. And it knocked out Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. Oh, the Rick Roll. <laughs> this reached number one in the United States, but it only got to number 11 in the United Kingdom. It was the first time that he failed to reach the top 10 in his home country. And I'm like, with this song, this is the one that didn't make the top 10? That's crazy. All right, so this video uh, was directed by George Michael and Andy Morahan, who had also done the video for Faith and I Want Your Sex and Monkey. And they both together ended up winning the award for Best Direction in a Video for Father Figure in the 1988 MTV Video Music Awards. Nice, the Tacoma Moon Man. Yeah. This video, he's a cab driver, and then he meets that high fashion model, and they kind of stare at each other longingly. That high fashion model is Tanya Coleridge, by yeah. the way, who... Yes. At the time, I thought every woman just wore garter belts and, you know, <laughs> like, this is exactly what I want my life to be, right? Jason got married and his wife's getting ready. He's like, are you going to put on your garter belt? We're about to head out. You're forgetting your garter. That's right. Go put your lingerie. Go take your sweatpants off and put on your lingerie. Let's go. Oh, that's hilarious. So I don't know if you have you seen the movie Atomic Blonde? I have not. Okay. Talk about a sensual movie. It's not a sensual movie. There's a there's a few pretty sensual parts in it. But this song, as sensual as it is, is part of this huge fight scene in it. And to throw it back to the Tom Cruise Top Gun thing, the producers actually wanted to use Take My Breath Away by Berlin in the scene, but they couldn't clear it. And so instead they used this in a kick butt, Charlie's Throne, beautiful and bad A, making it awesome. Nice. Cool. That's really cool. Father Figure was sampled in PM Dawn's Looking Through Patient Eyes from 1993. It was sampled in the song Father by LL Cool J. And it was sampled by Destiny's Child in Winter Paradise. Pretty impactful song. Absolutely. Okay. What's your feeling on this song? You like this one? Oh, man, I love it. I, so far, I mean, I'll, I'll just say the first the first several songs, the first four songs at the very least, and we'll have to go through, but Out of the Box are fan-freaking-tastic. Faith, yeah. Dynamo. I mean, the, the throwback to the 50s, 60s rock and the, the, the poppy drums and hooks, it's, it's amazing. And then Father Figure, my gosh. I mean, the song was made to make out to, and so why wouldn't you, yeah, why wouldn't you at my age, which would have been 13, love that song? Right. All right. So that brings us to the most controversial song on the album. This song is called I Want Your Sex. So, you want to you want to tell me what you said? You thought the music sounded like in this song, wet and juicy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There's something very sex sounding about this music. I don't know what they did, how they made the plunking and the blipping and the blooping and all of that make <laughs> with the instruments. I don't know how they did what they did, but it just it's just like man, it sounds like doing it. It does. It sounds like, yes, like a wet porno at the beginning of the song. This song was released originally on the Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack. Really? I did, yes. not, I did not know that. It was one of the hits. So like Shakedown, Cross uh -huh. My Broken Heart, and I Want Your Sex. It was actually played in the movie during the, uh, the strip club scene. But this was released <laughs> June 1st, 1987. And like you said, 
this was a stark difference from Wham. Right oh, out yeah. of the gate, he's demonstrating, I'm done with that teeny bopper crap. I'm making a song about sex. And if you are, if you happen to be an aspiring music artist, I think that we've learned from Def Leppard, Pour Some Sugar on Me, Van Halen, Black and Blue, and George Michael, if you write a song that strippers want to strip to, then you're probably going to have a hit. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so here's something that I do want to dive into. This, to me, is very interesting. Growing up in the Midwest, I definitely remember this song. There was a big backlash by parents and stuff about playing this song. It was kind of the first song, popular song, that had the word sex in it, right? So you had, like, Prince had songs that he had that were sexual in nature, but they weren't the hits, right? There were other tracks on the album, but 1999 was what was out front, you know? Delirious was out front. This is the first song that was like a hit song that had the word sex in it. This only reached number two. So it only reached number two because at the time, that was based on sales, like single sales, and radio play. And there were a lot of radio stations around the country that refused to play the song. I remember there were certain radio stations that had alternate versions of it that the song was called I Want Your Love. And it was this loop from the song where they played, I want your love. I want your love. Sexual healing is about the the closest you got to the mention of sex in a song. And that was was 82 by Marvin Gaye. But this is not, I mean, this isn't just a song that mentions sex in the title. This is a guy who's, I mean, just depending on your perspective and your, where you stand on these type of things, it's a guy, it's either a guy who's tired of getting teased or a guy who's pushing a girl a little too hard as a dad <laughs> of a daughter. I'm like, what are you talking about like this? You shut your mouth. He is He's a good girl. You leave her, her alone. Stop pressuring her. Yeah. A man's so. got his patience, and that is where his ended. <laughs> According to this song, sex is natural, sex is good. Not everybody does it, but everybody should. <laughs> sex is natural, sex is fun, and sex is best when it's one on one. <laughs> Although I'm not really sure if he bought into that line. I don't know if he believed I don't that. think he did either. <laughs> <laughs> there was a there's a part of this video that I from this is just from memory. I, I did not go back and, and research this thing. But it seemed to me that that even MTV was resistant to playing the video until they put that part in where he's writing on the girl, uh, explore monogamy. He's like yeah. writing with lipstick on the girl, right? Yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah, even MTV was scared off by this song. I do want to mention one other thing before we dive into the video, because I do want to get into the video. Casey Kasem would not say the title of this song during the Top 40 Countdown. He would say things like, George Michael's greatest hits is up next at number two or whatever. He would not say, I want your sex. Which even to me at the time, I'm like, I didn't know sex is something you could possess. Like... We you have got your sex. sex. Yeah, I've got my sex, <laughs> but I want your sex. Together, we have <laughs> sex. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the video for a second. Okay. Like you said, MTV made him because they were concerned about the AIDS epidemic. They were concerned that this was going to be promoting promiscuous activities. And so they made him put this little PSA at the beginning of the video where he's talking <laughs> about. This is not about crazy sex. This is about monogamy. There are so many songs that are are about what he's talking about in this song, leading up to this song, right? I mean, you've got Darling Nikki and Erotic City by Prince. I mean, Prince was 
pushing the envelope the whole time. He just wasn't saying the word sex. And they're probably, even though songs are a bit more graphic than, than I Want Your Sex is, because he's actually, because he's not actually talking about having sex as much as, he, as Prince does in some of his other songs. But man, the, I mean, after this song came out, you had, I want to sex you up and I touch myself. And I mean, all kinds of, I mean, then, and of course, Prince releases Cream and Get Off. I mean, that's just, <laughs> It's it is it is amazing what when somebody finally just goes oh there's the line yeah I'll just go ahead and step over that and everybody's like yeah step over go <laughs> <laughs> okay so you mentioned Prince let's talk about Prince for just a second because okay. one of the things that George Michael does in this song and he actually does it other songs in this album is he artificially pitches up his voice similar to what Prince did in the Sign of the Times album. Okay, music video. Can we talk about music video? Yeah, just to quote here. Okay, so I mean this is this is the time of AIDS being a very huge factor. Safe sex was what everybody was all about at the time that this thing came out and George said this. He said the media has divided love and sex incredibly. The emphasis of the AIDS campaign has been on safe sex, but the campaign has missed relationships. It's missed emotion. It's missed monogamy. I Want Your Sex is about attaching lust to love, not just to strangers. In the music video, once again, directed by Andy Morahan, this features George Michael's girlfriend at the time, Kathy Young. In the video, he writes the words explore and monogamy on her back in lipstick, which as a 14-year-old, I thought that is the coolest thing that one could possibly do. (laughs) (laughs) I would have written the words, I want your sex in lipstick. But, you know, okay, one of the things I want to mention on the album, on the LP, on the CD, I Want Your Sex Part 1 and Part 2 are lumped together in this big, long song. Oh, yeah. See, that bothers me. I I separate those. Yeah, you should. This is a a pop single, and no pop single needs to be nine minutes long. I mean, save that for the album rock of Leonard Skinner. If the song lasts longer than the sex lasts, you've made the song too long. <laughs> That's great. Well, I guess uh, if we're done with I Want Your Sex Part 1, we can move on to I Want Your Sex Part 2. Uh, okay. Shouldn't have happened. That's all I really could say about this, but go ahead. Okay. All right. So so Part 1 of I Want Your Sex is known as Rhythm One Lust. Rhythm One Lust. Okay. Yeah. I Want Your Sex Part Two. It sounds like the lounge act version of a great song. Rhythm I, Two Brass in Love. Rhythm Two Brass in Love. Thank you. You're welcome. So the song that we know as I Want Your Sex is Rhythm One Lust. This is Rhythm <laughs> Two Brass in Love. This is horns and lounge act, and it's it's the version of the Great song that I don't want to hear. I don't like it at all. What do you think? It is unnecessary and it doesn't, it takes away from the first song instead of adding to it. I mean, as, as far as quality and listenability is concerned, it's not, I don't, yeah, don't care for it. Me too. Just leave it off. Just leave the great song. Yeah. Cut, trim the fat here. I'm done with just, I Want Your just, Sex Part 2. Just to let you know, as to those weird sounds that we were talking about, 
they were generated with a very early sampling device called a Greengate DS3, which ran on an Apple II computer. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. The rhythm track on the song was the result of a happy accident. Most of the sounds on the song were made by using two synthesizers and a Lin drum machine, which is also a sampler. The devices were connected to a MIDI unit, which went a little, it started messing up and it triggered some random sounds. And and Chris Porter says, oh, dang it, I'll reset it. And George said, hang on a second, hang on a second. That sounds really good, doesn't it? And he then Chris says, uh, it's a little bit weird, isn't it? And he said, yeah, but if we just take a bit out here and there and a bit, they, we might be able to use it. And that's how they came up with those sounds. And they recorded a few bars of that with the kind of squelching. That's the word, squelching noise. <laughs> and that's where you get that weird sound that kind of morphs into the song. What is next? One more try. This song is friggin' beautiful. Yeah, this is an amazing song. In my opinion, this is either the first or second best song on the album. It's either yeah. this or Father Figure. I love this song. It's so good. It's so good. Interestingly, with Father Figure, it had started off as a dance style type of song, but then George Michael, who, he, by the way, he produced this album himself. Like, he was the producer. He took out the drums, and he realized that it became much more special, and he did kind of the same thing here with One More Try. This is like a, this is in the style of, like, Marvin Gaye or Stevie Wonder. It's just an amazing ballad. Yeah, this one almost feels gospel to me. You know, it starts out with that synth that almost feels like church music, and I think the video kind of backs that feeling up yeah um, he's got he's singing with a stained glass behind him and it's just this very kind of straightforward i mean the focus is on him and the song there's not it's not the video is not a storytelling kind of video it is a i'm presenting myself to you the audience in this way like like you said like a gospel song okay so this song reached number one on the hot 100 may 28th of 1988 this song was a triple chart number one okay this is a really yeah. cool fact so okay. it hit number one on the hot 100 it hit number one on the hot r&b chart and number one on the adult contemporary chart uh this is the last song to do that by a white male artist until robin thick did that with lost without you in 2007 there's no question when you're listening to this album that the influence is predominantly the r&b music there weren't there were not a whole lot of white guys who were putting out this kind of music but it was i mean he really he did such a fantastic job with it so his voice is very soulful you know he's got such great vocals that the r&b community accepted him which is really funny to think about when you go back and listen to wake me up before you go go that's about the right. biggest white bread song you could possibly have and you say yep. okay this guy is going to be number one on the r&b charts very shortly well that's a little bit hard to believe at that time but this song is just so good the interesting and the so there's a couple of interesting things about this song that i think are worth mentioning so this is the third consecutive number one from faith which i want your sex we already talked about hit number two mainly because the radio wouldn't play it it reached number eight on the uk charts so he was not doing as well in in his home country as he did in America. Seems kind of crazy. This is the sixth number one for George Michael. Yeah, that's awesome. And he did it quickly. The, uh, this one debuted at number 40. Like when it was released, 
It debuted at number 40 and took only seven weeks to reach number one. That's incredibly fast. And to do that well, the song has to have merit on multiple levels. Obviously, the hook is there. I mean, the melody on this one is flat out awesome. The instrumentation for the 80s was spot on. His voice is incredible and soulful. And then the lyrics, I mean, the lyrics tell you a story of a man who has been in bad relationships before, who's trying to say no to a relationship that's in front of him, only to be ultimately overcome in the end and fall in love and be be part of the relationship. That is a great storyline. One more try was the second longest running number one of 1988 tied with every rose has its thorn by poison and only behind steve winwood's roll with it which was number one for four weeks i was talking to my wife about this and she remembers being a you know 15 year old and this song really spoke to her heart so this is her favorite song on the faith album she's not alone in that Elton John said this is his favorite George Michael song and that uh, he's not jealous about many songs, but this song is one that he wish he would have written. That's great. It's a great compliment. Mariah Carey covered this song in 2014. Have you listened to that version of it? No. Okay, so I listened to it. I also listened to her version of Def Leppard's Bring It On The Heartbreak. Not <laughs> not so good, all right? Not the best. But this one, because yeah. it's that softer, more soulful ballad, she actually does have a good version of this. I thought it was good. It's not horrible, but it's it's not as good as the first one. It's not as good as the first one. Let's talk about the video for a second. Okay. This video was directed by Tony Scott. Tony Scott is the director of Top really? Gun. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you can definitely see the Top Gun. Like the uh, Take My Breath Away part of Top Gun exactly. is definitely the style of this video for sure. The blowing I sheets. Mean, and perfect for this song. Last little tidbit I've got on this. This was knocked yeah. out of the number one spot by Rick Astley's Together Forever. So Rick Astley yeah. also knocked Father Figure out of the number one spot, which is kind of interesting. So so George Michael has been Rickrolled a couple times now. <laughs> Freaking Rick Astley keeps kicking me out. All right. Stop your tape. Kick it out. Flip it over for side two. Okay. First song on side two is Hard Day. Don't bring me down. Okay, this song is actually the third single off of Faith, which yep. to me was kind of a surprise because I wasn't familiar with the song. They didn't make a video for this song. I didn't know it. I didn't hear it, but it's good. I like it. It's got that funk. It's it's one of the funky songs on the album, It's and I, I dig it, but I feel like they just kind of missed the mark a little bit. It's not bad. It just, I, I, I heard this, and I was like, this could be a single, but it's just missing something. Something and I can't even put my finger on it, but I guess they felt like it wasn't missing anything because obviously they released it as a single. Father Figure be a hit today. Kissing yeah. a Fool could be a hit today. This one yeah, is it's, a little bit 80s. Yeah, let me, let me listen to this. Which we love more. 80s. <laughs> <laughs> we love 80s, so don't get me wrong on that. I really like the chorus in the song. So you get this really interesting kind of almost Native American style whistling going on. I don't, I don't know yeah. how to describe that. And then it comes with in with a total dance funk. Okay, so my feeling on this song is that the bass line 
overwhelms the song. I mean, it's just in your face. If he had that organ instead of that synthesizer there, or even just a, a piano or something, I don't know. It's just, it kind of misses the mark for me. Okay, that's fair. That's fine. This song was written and originally produced by George Michael, like we said, and released only in the U.S. and Australia. I don't really get that. I don't know why record companies do these types of things. Either release it or or don't release it. But anyway, released October 30th, 1987. It released it. It reached the top five on the U.S. Hot Dance Club Songs chart, and it was the top. It was in the top 40 of the U.S. R&B chart. So this song was the B-side of the I Want Your Sex single. And when they released Hard Day as a single, on the B-side of Hard Day was an extended version of I Want Your Sex. So the lyrics are addressed to a woman that the singer is like obsessed with. But in the last verse, George Michael is like singing a duet with himself. So it's it's his male voice and then this sped up, pitched up version of himself as the female. Okay. Hold so, on. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. Listen to this. Sweet little boy with oh such a big mouth. Hot sweats can get you in the hot water. When people don't understand you, baby, I'm always here for you. You're telling me that this is George Michael? Yes. Yes. No friggin' way. Yes. Yes. And you know where he got the idea from, don't you? Prince. <laughs> I'm blown away right now. I was going to look and see who the who the duet was with and you're telling me the girl at the end of this song is not a girl it's george michael yes that's exactly right that's fan freaking fantastic okay my mind is blown (laughs) so unpack this with me for just a second so we know george michael is a big fan of prince prince's sign of the times album came out in spring of 87 Prince did the For, same thing. Foreshadowing, by the way, quick foreshadowing. We're doing Sign of the Times in a future episode versus U2, The Joshua Tree. Awesome. I can't wait to get into that one. But Oh, it's going to be fantastic, but I'm sorry. So George Michael is listening to Prince do some stuff off of Sign of the Times and comes up with this idea. Yeah, Prince had this alter ego, this female version of himself that he called Camille. And so when he would sing these female parts, he would raise and pitch up his voice if you're familiar with the song you've got the look that he sings with sheena easton yes it's that's camille and he had this whole album planned where he was going to sing as camille so anyway george michael being enamored with prince thought i'm gonna give that a try he actually does it a little bit on i want your sex if you go back and listen to that but this song in particular, anyway, that is him singing as the female part. That is, that's amazing. That's some solid, that's a solid bit of producing right there. I had no idea. I thought it was a real girl singing that part. I'm just floored. Thank you. Thank you for blowing my mind today. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> Moving on. Next song is Hand to Mouth. Okay, so as this intro's in, I have an expectation of a song, right? You get a very, the drums are solid in here, and then you get the piano coming in, and then you get that bass again that I thought was kind of overwhelming on Hard Day. Yeah. But it's not so overwhelming. It's just a simple bass line. And then the lyrics, I love. And his voice, I love. But this melody 
doesn't belong with these drums. Like, I feel like it was a great song that somebody bought, brought a drum machine to and was like, oh, hey, let's put these drums to this. And, and if I was there in the studio, I'd be like, yeah, that's a nice trick, but take that crap out of here. This is good. <laughs> we don't need these drums in here. This is, this is like um, In the Ghetto by Elvis. This needs to be slowed down a little bit, have real instruments and no drums, and then it's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that's. I think that's good. I can see that. Uh, the the choice to leave the drums in, I, I think, was a bad choice. And I've heard him. I tried to look once I heard the song. I was like, I know he did an MTV Unplugged. I know he did some other stuff. Maybe, and he did an MTV Unplugged in this of this song, and it sounds better because he's got pianos in there instead of the synthesizer. But it's still got the drums in there, and I'm just like, no, this. If I could, you know, if I had these tracks that i could break up i'd boot that drum i would make it a real piano and not this synthesizer and if you had that you got a fan freaking tastic song as it is i'm gonna listen to it for about a minute and i'm gonna get tired of this repetitive drum beat and i'm gonna fast forward okay okay all right so this song to me is is close to like michael jackson's liberian girl it's good but it never really quite gets off the ground for me it's, uh, I think it finishes strong musically. Um, it's just kind of jazzy and light and his vocals never, it's kind of more breathy and he doesn't really like put the throttle down, you know? Okay, I've got something for you on this. Tell me if I'm off base. So they have the drum kit at the beginning that just kind of that, right? Yep. Then it comes in with the piano. That piano line, and it just kind of repeats. That sounds very similar to the piano line in Computer Blue by Prince. Different tone, same line, I think. See what you think. Yeah, so that little bit, that little bit at the beginning, yeah, it's the same. It sounds like the same notes, but Prince is cutting it short, whereas George Michael completes the completes the phrase on the on the music for sure. Okay, cool. So I'm not off base on that. That sounded very similar. Not at all. No, very similar. Okay, so this song is different from the other songs in the album because it's kind of a social commentary. This isn't about sex. This isn't about love. This isn't about relationships. This is about people on the streets, people who lose themselves to poverty and to drugs and that kind of thing and and where their children are left. It's definitely an entirely different storyline than the other other stuff that we have on this album. And that's... That's a part that I like. I mean, I think that that, that the lyrics and the meaning behind the lyrics are solid. Again, I just think that the instrumentation, they they missed the mark on it. Next track on the CD tape or LP is Look at Your Hands. So this one's a little bluesy. There's more horns. It's interesting to see how he moves from ballad to dance song to jazz we haven't got to yet. And this is more blues. Wow, this is this is similar to NXS. This has a very NXS kick nice. feel about it. I like this song. Okay. When I first listened to it, I thought to myself, it sounds a little bit like Bruce Willis and Respect Yourself. So this song is the only song that has a co-writer. This one was co-written by George Michael and a guy named David Austin. It's got the rock. It's got the the saxophone in there like the NXS has. And then the piano. Like, it, uh, Yeah, this is strong NXS to me. Strong NXS feel on this one. Interesting. Okay. 
Cool. Sometimes it just takes hearing a song about four or five times and then you fall in love with it, you know? It's, that happens to me quite a little bit, actually. So this song is about a guy who is unhappy with... <laughs> Is unhappy with the way that his ex-girlfriend's life has turned out. You got two fat children and a drunken man. Bet you don't. Bet you don't like your life. <laughs> uh, so this one's, I don't know if this one is pleading with her or if it's just, yeah, no, he's just, he says, I still want you tonight. Um, so yeah, he's, he's telling her she's made a big mistake your kids are brats and your your man's a dirty drunk you should be with me that's uh, i love nice. it that's some that's some solid lyrics all right so this one is back to the funk you right yeah i love it i mean it's this is the 80s music that i go back to and revisit and i'm just like yeah give me 80s all about it <laughs> so this song is called monkey this is the sixth single released july 3rd 1988 this one hit number one on the hot 100 man this is just a string of number one hits the song on the lp is not as good as the song in the video so okay. it's two different versions of it okay so the song I'm totally listening hear- to the one in the video so so the album he had to finish because he was on a deadline so he got these two producers jimmy jam and terry lewis to work on the track after he heard what they did for the song nasty by janet jackson so they had done songs by new edition robert palmer the human league Um, like i said they did nasty for janet jackson they ended up doing black cat off of her rhythm nation album michael told the pair that he had envisioned monkey being more melodic with chords but he was on a deadline when he recorded it so he didn't have the time to do it properly Jam and Lewis completely reworked the song, and they even got George Michael to re-record his vocals. So the song that you hear on MTV that was played a 10,000 times, that was the Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis version, and I like that version much better. So as long as we're talking about the video, <laughs> have you seen the hat that he's wearing in the show? <laughs> <laughs> Can we please go oh. back to the band sunglasses? <laughs> So this music video, directed again by Andy Morahan, it was choreographed by Paula Abdul. How many times has Paula Abdul made an appearance (laughs) on our podcast? He was in Nuclelouche, Paula Abdul, George Michael. (laughs) Yeah, so it's intercut with him in his concert footage, and he looks awesome. The denim jacket's running around singing looking cool and then they interspliced the the white shirt and black hat which i'm like oh man look not not a good look for him think about this think about this okay there were guys that existed in 1987 1988 that knew that girls liked george michael and they knew that george michael wore that hat and so they went out and bought a hat so that they could look like George Michael. <laughs> yes, I think you are probably right about that. They also wore suspenders with blue jeans. <laughs> yes, yes. And the five o'clock shadow was definitely in during this summer. So when this song, when I'm 14, 15 years old, I don't really know what a monkey is. I don't understand it. I don't get the reference, but... Uh, the song is about a drug habit. The monkey on your back is a drug habit. Do you love your drug habit or do you love me? And it's interesting that, that that's what this is about because 
George Michael admittedly had a pretty significant drug habit at the time that this that this album came out. Like he and his girlfriend that he had picked up from the I Want Your Sex video were doing ecstasy and drinking heavily every single day. Okay. Number one hit, super fun, dance, 80s. Yeah, I'll turn oh. it on. I yeah. like it. It's good. I like it. So this single was released in 1988, and it reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number 13 on the U.K. Singles Chart. Monkey debuted at number 42 on July 9th, and by August 27th, 1988, it was number one, and it stayed there for two weeks. So with this, he joined Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston as three artists who had four or more consecutive number one singles during the 1987-88 era from one album. Michael Jackson had five number one hits from Bad. Flashback to our Bad episode, episode two. Whitney Houston had seven. That's incredible. It's incredible. It was off two albums, but that's pretty pretty impressive. It's impressive. Monkey also reached number one on the U.S. Hot Dance Club play chart. And it was his first dance number one. When they released the single version was that remixed version by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Yeah, that's the better version for sure. Last song on the vinyl, but not the last song if you had a CD or a cassette. And that song is Kissing a Fool. You are fine When I could have been your star The song is beautiful. Another stone cold killer on this album so kissing a fool was the seventh single released november 21st 1988 this song to me sounds something like harry connick jr would sing it's definitely more jazz this is what i wanted for hard day Uh if they had done hard day like this hard day could have potentially been another number one hit i think we know that With pop in the 80s, you're going to use synthesizers, you're going to use drum machines. But George Michael is saying on this particular song, I don't even have to do that, right? I can give you I can give you old school piano, old school stand up bass and me singing the blues and you're going to fall in love. According to George Michael, the vocals were recorded acapella, one take, one take. Wow. Somewhere Joe Elliott is crying when he hears that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, he's drinking himself to sleep. <laughs> this album uh, was originally supposed to be called Kissing a Fool. That was the working title for the album for a long time until at the last minute they kind of changed it to Faith. So this was the least successful of the singles released. It made it to number 18 on the UK singles chart, and it became the first single in five not to make number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in the US, but it was number one on the Hot Adult Contemporary tracks and became number five on the Billboard Hot 100. So the best part to me of this song is when the big band jumps in at the end. vocals take off at that point. It's interesting that you say that it kind of reminds you of Harry Connick 
The song was actually covered by Michael Bublé, and it is, whereas you can listen to so many of the songs on this album and go, yeah, okay, this is kind of dated. I can say this is 80s. This song is timeless. It is timeless. Yeah. Okay. Great song. I love this song. It's beautiful. How did did it feel when you were running and listening to this? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Again, a little bit weird exercising while listening to this album. Okay, so that brings us to the last song on the tape, at least. A Last Request, I Want Your Sex, Part 3. What do you think? I was trying to pressure you into sex, and apparently didn't work. So let me make one last request. This song probably should have happened even less than I Want Your Sex, Part (laughs) 2. Give it up. I mean, just let it go. She's not interested. She's very tired and has a headache. And again, this horribly dated with this synthesizer and drum machine drums so i've seen enough cinemax after dark movies this (laughs) this has the feel (laughs) i don't know if that's a confession you want to make on the air bro (laughs) this has a cinemax after dark type of feel to me You're saying this is the 80s version of Bounce. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) It's got kind of a sexy beat. The horns, I I think that as the song closes, it sounds a little bit like You Belong to the City by Glenn Frey. This song needed to be trimmed. This is not a worthy track on Faith. No, they wisely left it off of the LP. I'm not sure why they brought it back for the CD and the tape as a bonus track. I don't know. So I I did want to bring this up. I don't know if we really got into this when we covered I Want Your Sex. For a song to show up in three parts on an album. I mean, it was a huge hit. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it wasn't a big hit. But for three versions of basically the same song. And then from this point on, he ignores it. They don't play it live. He doesn't mention it. He didn't talk about it. It's very interesting, his relationship with that song. Okay, we're getting big picture here, and I'm going to say this. He reinvents himself, and he does that deliberately at least throughout the 80s, right? I mean, he and when he does his next album, first video that comes out, he's blowing up the jacket. He's blowing up the jukebox. He's blowing up the guitar. I mean, he's getting rid of all of that. He's like... That ain't me. You're not going to define me. That's not who I am. I can do it all. I'm not just a pop person. I'm not just a I want your sex person. I'm not sex symbol only. I'm not any of those things. You can't put me in a box. And so I'm going to redefine myself. And you know, when we talked about Michael Jackson, I talked about how I didn't feel like Bad was a better album because I felt like it was really just a thriller part two, which I mean, thriller is fantastic. So why not make a part two? But there are certain artists out there who refuse to do that. George Michael is obviously one of those guys. Prince is obviously one of those guys. You've you've noted a couple times that he took a cue from Prince, and I think he totally did that big picture-wise with his albums as well. Prince is not making Purple Rain Part 2 with Sign of the Times. He's making something wholly different. Yeah, wholly different. And that's something admirable to to be able to go, hey, I'm going to be a completely different type of artist, and I'm still going to make hits. That's something impressive. 
It is impressive. It is impressive. And I marvel at not only did he completely change his image from this album to the next album, but he weaves his way in and out of different genres of music on this album. Like we said, da- dance, pop, rock, jazz, gospel. So- How many different categories of music did he write a hit for? Oh, my gosh. So rap, initially his first success was in rap. Mm-hmm. Bubblegum pop with Wham. Yep. Right? I mean, mainstream pop, rock, jazz, R- R&B, R&B, adult contemporary, dance, dance, funk. Funk. It's That's pretty all, It's yeah. pretty freaking impressive. It's that super is impressive. pretty freaking impressive. And the guy's got a a voice like an angel. So this is kind of moving us into the impact and the reception that the Faith album had. It won the Grammy for album of the year. From the 1989 American Music Awards, he won Favorite Pop Rock Male Artist, Favorite Soul R&B Male Artist, which we need to talk about, and Favorite Soul R&B Album for Faith. There was some backlash on this. This is interesting. So a white artist winning the R&B Best Artist Award. This was not looked upon very favorably although it's admirable that he crossed over into black audiences he made it the album was number one on the r&b charts and for him to to be the first white solars to to do that super impressive um but people like gladys knight was very vocal and criticized him for that even though it's not his fault right i do think it's interesting when he when he sang careless whisper as the last song on the last concert of the faith tour he said to himself, I don't know if I'll ever do this again. For him to work so hard, gain so much success, and get to the top and say, I'm not sure I'm going to do this ever again. Kind of interesting. It is. It's crazy. So just to touch on the awards real quick, okay? Yep. Nominated for Album of the Year and won. Yes. Father Figure was nominated for Best Pop Vocal Performance by a Male. This also received the Favorite Soul R&B Album for the American Music Awards, as well as the Favorite Soul R&B Male Artists. MTV Video Music Awards, both Faith and Father Figure were nominated, and Father Figure won for Best Direction in a Video. Father Figure won for Best Direction in a Video. He had other nominations, but ultimately he received the Video Vanguard Award, and he won for the Brit Awards, won Best British Male Artist. It's impressive. I mean, that's a heck of a year, man. Yeah. I was going to mention this too. Mm -hmm. Faith was the best-selling album of 1988 in the United States. 11 million copies in the United States alone, 20 million copies of Faith sold worldwide. That's the 52nd best-selling album of all time in the U.S., okay? Wow, yeah. So this is an interesting tidbit just regarding the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, okay? So Faith was the number one selling album of 1988, covered by the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. The number two best-selling album of 88, the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, which we have slated sometime maybe in 2021. Number three that year, Hysteria, covered by the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Number four, Kick. Number five, Bad. And number six, Appetite for Destruction. Well, we don't pick losers. (laughs) (laughs) We don't pick losers. That's right. Debbie Gibson at number seven. I'm not sure that was going to make the cut. Oh, yeah, dude. We're definitely doing a Debbie Gibson versus Tiffany Let's episode. It. It's going to happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> We've got to talk a little bit about sort of the tragedy oh, the involving yeah, both okay. of these guys. All right. So, 
All the success in the world can't always save you. Tragically, with both of the bands that we're comparing, we lose an artist without comparison. The world has lost something special in both of their deaths, and it's tragic. It is. It is. So George Michael died Christmas Day, 2016, at age 53. Mm -hmm. The autopsy report was indeterminable, but I think it's just... In general, drugs and alcohol got him in the end. Michael Hutchins died November 22nd, 1997. His death was very unusual. He had, in all respects, appeared to be in a good mood. He had plans to do uh, work with other artists. And, you know, they say this stuff all the time about people who commit suicide. But um, with his particular situation, it does seem very strange that he would have committed suicide, but he had become involved in a relationship with Bob Geldof's wife, Paula Yates, and she was leaving Bob and there were custody battles going on in their divorce. And there was a plan that she and her children, as well as the child that she had with Michael Hutchins, Tiger Lily, um, We're supposed to come to be with him over the Christmas holiday. And because of the divorce dispute, they were not able to come. She called and gave him that news. He uh, became very depressed. This was all within the span of a day. Became very depressed, called a couple of different people to uh, tell them what was going on and how he was feeling. And one of those people even came to the hotel room that he was staying in and knocked on the door to come and talk to him, even though it was in the wee hours of the morning. And she didn't get a response and so left. And sadly, that next morning, they found him hanging in his closet. It's, again, not something that they thought was foul play, but something that a lot of folks had trouble believing was deliberate um, despite the fact that he appeared to be completely alone. So I don't, you know, I don't want to speculate on it, but it, the, the, the thing is we lost again, another truly great artist. And on that happy note, how about we do some final jokes? All right. Thank you. <laughs> Let's transition to something a little happier. Final judgment. All okay. right, Dee, where are you? No, you go first. You want me to go first? All right. So these two albums, I owned both. I love both. However, I think that Faith has some songs that needed to be cut. It brings down the album as a whole, some of these just kind of hanger-ons. I do think Faith gets a lot of credit with me for having so many songs, so many different genres, uh, different styles, uh, certainly styles that were not my favorite at the time. Jazz was not something I listened to typically, but through Kissing a Fool, I was introduced to that. But a lot of great songs. I don't think Faith has aged quite as well. I love every song on Kick. I could pop it in. I could definitely go jogging to Kick a little bit easier than I could Faith. But my vote as a whole, Kick is the better album. Not a bad song on it. D. Okay. When we started this podcast, I had a, a decision in my head. I knew what I was picking in my head, right? Yeah. And as with many things, as we revisit and we listen and we go through the entire album and, and things appeal to you more on, on the second or third or the fourth listen, your perspectives change. Now, I'm a rock guy. 
I am not a pop guy. I like some pop music, and that's. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not a snob about it. It's just not my thing. Right. And so, what I have to do in my head is, is I have to take that out and say, okay, take your your presuppositions and your predispositions away, and look at these albums side by side for what they were. Okay. And even though probably song-wise, I'm going to pick NXS Kick, uh, Never Tear Us Apart is, I've said, my favorite song. If you put all of these songs up on the board, I'm writing number one next to Never Tear Us Apart. And Devil Inside and Need You Tonight are both fantastic songs. New Sensation, what? Yes, blows my mind. And it's rock, which right. I love. right. But it's all rock. And so when we listen to Guns N' Roses versus Back in Black, what did I say? I said Appetite for Destruction was better than Back in Black because it had variety. It had variation. And so even though when we started, I knew I was picking an excess kick, I got to say today I'm picking George Michael Faith. Ah, love it. Number one hit after number one hit after number one hit in completely different genres. You have, I mean, I've got songs on there that I don't like. I would have redone them and done them a completely different way. But when you look at these albums as a whole, George Michael has produced a better product. And that's the way people felt in 1988, 1989. And I got to say they were right. If you you take out the ones that are dated, and you put them next to the next to these songs uh, from Kick, taking out the ones that are dated. I still say I'm going to have to say that Faith wins the day. Wow, I love it, man. That's great. And, it's crazy and for, for me. I would never have expected mind, it. Yeah, I would never have expected to pick that. Never. I'm. That, that is super I'm still. Cool. I'm. I'm probably going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm probably going to wake up in the middle of the night and go, "What the crap did I just say?" <laughs> Because I love Kick. I love the rock. and the, Oh, man, I, geez, I'm wavering already. I'm starting to waffle. We better turn the microphones off before I <laughs> change my mind. Hey, I, I think it's cool for us to grow as we rediscover <laughs> these albums together. So hopefully there's somebody out there who listened to the podcast mm-hmm. who changed their mind. I, I think that's great when people uh, hit us up on Facebook and they say, hey, I initially thought this, but now I think that. I just, I would like to point out that this is kind of momentous because as far as pop and rock are concerned, you're the pop guy and I'm the rock guy. If we got to say one or the other, that's true. I just picked the pop. I just picked the pop album and you picked the rock album. I know. I know. Hey, that's called growth. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, tell us what you guys think. Um, uh, Am I crazy? Is Jason crazy? Uh, Are they, is it an, unanswerable question which of these two albums are better it might be but sometimes you just got to put your foot down and say this is the way it is that's the way i feel jason it's been fun yep d talk to you next week all right bye